Today, I want us to picture ourselves um, being in the second century. Just think about that, second century. I'm sure you totally know what that means. (laughs) I was never there, so I can't fully tell you. But imagine the second century. Imagine we're a bunch of Christians, Christ followers. Maybe 20 or 30 of us are meeting in what would be called a house church or what the church at the time was, often in homes or large homes. Most of us in that gathering would be, uh, have already put our trust in Christ and begin to follow Jesus. Some of us are likely exploring or just discovering who Jesus is. Maybe it's the first time we're at that home or maybe someone's invited us and it's been a few times that we've come over. Um, we've mainly come to understand who Jesus is. Enough about him and his teachings from the house church um, elder or local leader, which would often in the second century be called a bishop, not like we know a bishop necessarily today in the Catholic church, but just as an overseer of a cluster of churches and likely learning from them uh, that, you know, Jesus is God and he is worth following kind of the core heartbeat of what people were discovering. Imagine that the bishop is a church leader who teaches and cares for a cluster of small churches. Imagine maybe the, 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 the region of Rome or maybe Turkey uh, and homes in these areas. There's no Bible to open because uh, there was no leather-bound Bible at the time or copy. In fact, the 66 books of the scriptures that we have in our Bible weren't all put together in a, a format like this. But they did read scripture. In fact, in the second century, they were already using Matthew's gospel as a, as a, as a, a content to disciple people, to teach them about Jesus. So they were reading the same gospel of Matthew that we read um, today as a way to help people grow. So that was around. They often quoted from Paul's letters or maybe uh, something that Peter would have said um, when he was alive that was recorded uh, there. They would have likely sung a hymn about who Jesus was, how Jesus was God, but how in a beautiful, um, humbling way he became flesh and died on a cross. And maybe they would have sung that hymn after they shared a meal, after they would have broke bread together and um, shared a meal together. But what often would have happened in that time period is someone in the region might have come around and maybe teaching something slightly different than you were learning in your house church. And uh, maybe some strange ideas about Jesus. Maybe that Jesus really wasn't God, or maybe that Jesus really wasn't human, or some big kind of heresy like that that popped up in the second and third centuries along those lines, and even in the fourth. And uh, maybe questioning what Jesus was all about. And this all came up just while you're having fruit, you know, after supper. This is coming up, and someone's talking about this. And then an elder, you know, the elder of the church, he ends up reminding you, hey, remember what we received from the early apostles? Remember what we heard and what we've been learning? That we believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord. And remember how we talked about he was conceived by the Holy Spirit through the Virgin Mary, born of a Virgin Mary. Remember how we talked about our Savior who suffered under Pontius Pilate? was crucified, died, and was buried, and on the third day he rose. And the believers who heard um, the elder share this, you know, remembered, yes, we've heard this before. We've talked about this. We, we, We treasure these words. They're familiar to us. And maybe there's one or two people in their second century there, maybe maybe one or two are old enough to have had a friend when they were younger that maybe knew one of the apostles. So they're like, I heard 
I heard, you know, that my, when I was young, one of the apostles was talking about this. Um, and so we imagine that kind of scenario. What was the elder doing? What, was, what were they doing in this local church? What were they working through? What was coming to mind? What were they reciting? Where did they get that from? And why was it so familiar to this house church in the second century? And what it was and what we understand it to be today is a creed. A creed. Uh, um, of, um, a paragraph. Uh, sayings that, that would have been dear to them and true to them. That would have connected them to the apostles' teaching. A creed is really just a statement, a declaration of what you believe to be true. It's a, it's a brief, you know, authoritative word of belief. It's a framework. A creed summarizes something really, really big in, in, in very few words. And somehow it points you to know what is true and to know how to live. And it's repeated and shared and talked about and prayed and discussed uh, just the other, just Friday night, I dropped my daughter off at uh, her local school. She had a girls' night in, and uh, so she was spending the, the evening there, not the whole night, but the evening, and they were playing games and hanging out, and a speaker was there, and different things at her local school. So first time that Julia ever heads out to one of these things, she's 12, and so just as she leaves the door and she was going to head to the school, I said, wait, Julia, wait a second. So she's, what, what, Dad, what's up? And I just said, Julia, just just remember who you are. That's all I said. I just said, just remember who you are. <laughs> and, um, and so I, as I said these words to Julia, I'm, I'm kind of like hearing my mother's words. You know, like when I was a kid and leaving teenager and leaving the house, like, David, just remember who you are, David. And so when my mom would tell me that or my dad, I would, you know, I'd leave the house and I'd be thinking, okay, I'm a man of foe. I'm my dad's son. I, I'm Believer, I, I think uh, these, slowly these convictions are growing. Who am I? Remember who I am. And so that one phrase kind of like opens up to multiple la- layers of things that are true about me. And so when I shared that little phrase with my daughter, what I was hoping is she'd remember what we talk about at supper and remember our prayers when she leaves the house in the morning. Or I remember, remember when we, I often tell her, be courageous and confident today and know that God's with you. And, and like, I didn't have to say all the 50 things we've said in the last three months, but just saying, Julia, remember who you are. And that little phrase unpacks this big kind of idea for her. You can tell her if, you can ask her if that's true or not, but that's what I was thinking. The word creed is really the word credo, which means I believe. I love it in the plural. It's credum in plural, which means we believe. We believe. And at the beginning of most creeds is that phrase, I believe or we believe. And today we're going to look at and start a journey in in one of the most famous creeds uh, in Christian history, and it's called the Apostles' Creed. And I just want to start by reading it today. Um, And so let's, let's just start this way by reading it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Some of you are reading this and, and cringing. You're like, 
I used to say this as a kid. I haven't said that in ages. Some of you have no idea what this is and have never said it ever in your life. And some of you are kind of in between. Some of you grew up in a church that said, we got no creed but the Bible. Um, so creeds were non-existent uh, in, in maybe in your church uh, context um, growing up. But as we jump into this series today, I want us to consider why we're doing this. And see, a creed like this is really a guide to understanding our faith. It's a guide to understanding our faith. And, uh, and today we're just going to kind of whet the appetite of what our appetite of, of what this creed is, why it's important, and really ask the question, like, why even bother going through a creed that's been said for almost 2,000 years uh, in the church? The cool thing about this is we're going to realize some of, the, some of the songs we sing, some of the things we say um, actually connect to this. Many of the scriptures you read in, in the scriptures as well. So I want to try and answer that question for some of us, because I know some of us are probably on this side and saying, I, this is brand new to me. I never even heard about this. And some of you are on this side kind of cringing, feeling like, I, I don't know, I'm not part of an institutional church. I don't read creeds, you know? And some of you are in the middle and thinking like, okay, cool, let's see what, what, you know, what we have to offer here. Um, but I want to answer the question why, and then... Um, move on because over the next few weeks we're going to unpack this creed and see how it, how it leads us and guides us and see uh, where we find these themes in scripture. But right off the bat, I want to kind of answer the question why. And the first thing I want to say is creeds are actually in the Bible. There is forms of creeds in the scriptures. So creeds in some sense are biblical. They're not the Bible, but I would say that they're biblical. They don't have the same authority as the Bible, but they're biblical. And I want to go back to one of the first creeds ever recorded in scriptures. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 5. And maybe some of you might be familiar with this one because Jesus has uh, repeated it, and so has Paul. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. So those first two verses are really the creed. Think about it. This is the first short little phrase in the Hebrew scriptures that almost says everything about what Israel is meant to be. It, it, it's a belief that defined Israel. Different than the Apostles' Creed, because the Apostles' Creed is later and extends into who Jesus is. But this is a belief that defined Israel. They had one Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Right? One Lord. And then... Their response to God, what does this creed say? It says your response to God is meant to be a response of love. Not obligation, not duty, not coercion, but a response of love. And right early, early on in Israel's story and in the first couple of pages of our scriptures, we find this creed that doesn't say everything, but it says enough to be a window into the kind of life and heart and people that Israel was meant to be in relationship to God. Here are a couple of things that we see in this short creed that I think will help us understand future creeds. First of all, it's communal. It's not individual. It's not like this is my pony, you know, like Jesus is my homeboy type of hat, right? It's not like that. It's like, this is us. Hear, O Israel, right? The, the, the creed is communal. The creed is also exclusive. And I know we hate that word in modern culture. We hate that word exclusive. But the, the creed is exclusive. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. In other words, there's one God. And they said this in an era of polytheism, meaning there was multiple views of God and multiple people believed in multiple gods. But 
their creed was the Lord is one. There's one God. So it's communal, it's exclusive, and it's a personal commitment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In fact, it's such a personal commitment. The writer goes on to say, put this on the doors of of your houses. Talk about it with your kids. When you take a walk, talk about these things. Because it's a personal commitment. So it's communal, it's exclusive, and it's a personal commitment. And this one creed that we start reading in the Old Testament, Jesus, when he's asked the question in the New Testament, hey, Jesus, how do you summarize the law and the prophets? How would you summarize everything written so far? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul referred to this as well. So a creed is this crystal clear, short window into Israel's belief in God and their response to God. But we don't just stop there. There's other creeds in the scriptures. One of the most famous creeds in the New Testament, and we're not going to talk about it a lot, it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, and it says this. Paul says, for what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You can see some of these words already in the Apostles' Creed. Paul's saying, I've heard this. I'm passing it on to you. That's what a creed is. Uh, N.T. Wright says, creeds are like, portable, like a portable story, a short summary of the scriptural storyline that we can carry with us everywhere we go. So a creed helps us take that story and walk with it wherever we go, where we might not need to have the whole list of things or the whole story always in front of us, but creeds give us a window into that. Portable, um, portable way of carrying that. Karl Barth said the whole creed refers to our knowledge of God in Jesus Christ. So the creed doesn't replace the Bible, or creeds never replace the Bible, just like the Shema of Israel didn't replace everything God said or did in the Old Testament. But it's a window back into the Bible. And so what we see in the first century, second century, third century of the church is the New Testament gave birth to these creeds, and then these creeds draw us back in to the New Testament. They were, these creeds were given birth to, and then they draw us back in. It's kind of like what I did with my daughter. Somehow in my family formation, uh, like we gave birth to this phrase, Dave, remember who you are. And now I use this phrase over and over again, and it's a window back in for my daughter to understand what we talk about at home and what kind of people we want to be and what kind of faith we want to live. So there's this sense of ideas that the, the, the creeds are, are already within biblical history. Secondly, I want to just kind of give you some, some history of this creed, and we're not going to do this every week, but I'll give it to you a bit today. This creed that we read today, the Apostles' Creed, it's, it was like the legend is that the apostles wrote it. That's why it's written the Apostles' Creed. But obviously the apostles did not write this in verbatim. Themes of the apostles are found in this creed. They didn't write it, but themes are developed in the first and second century already. First and second century, meaning, you know, if Jesus was alive in the first century, then in the second and third century, as the church is growing, these themes are already there. In fact, there's quotes from second century church leaders like Arrhenius and Tertullian that would have used these specific phrases. One of the earliest versions of this creed is found in, in the year 215 by a church leader named Hippolytus. And it was later found almost in its totality in the year 390 in a letter from the Council of Milan. And then we see glimpses of it in the 4th and 5th century 
And in the seventh century, they crystallized this format that we read today. So 600 years of repeating what this creed is, and then it gets crystallized in the seventh century. In fact, what they, this is really cool. What they used to use this for is they used to use it to help people prepare for baptism. So if you were, were going to get baptized and you came in uh, to an evening or however they would work this out, they would say, okay, we're going we're to help you prepare for baptism. Um, what do you believe about God? I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. It'd be this question and answer type of thing. How do you see Jesus? I believe in Jesus, God's only son. And on and on it would go. And so this creed was used for almost six centuries and on to help people who come to faith in Jesus actually prepare for this amazing decision of baptism. That's how important it was in the church. So there's this, there's this sense of beginnings of the creeds. But then there's this strength and this sense of what a creed does. It summarizes things and it's strengthened. I love the sense of the strength of it because there's one historian. His name is, is, is uh, I can't remember his first name. I think Yarslof Pelikan. But he says, imagine you're stuck in a really difficult situation and you want to cry out to God. And you have no clue who God is. So you're like, to whom it may concern I'm stuck. <laughs> or to whom it may concern, uh, I, need it, I need this answered. Or to who, you know? And so to whom it may concern is nice when you're writing a complaint letter to Maytag and you have no idea who you're going to speak to, right? Or maybe it's a sentimental thing and it's cool for people who are just looking for transcendent, but transcendence. But when you are in a place in your life or the darkest hour, you need to believe something more specific, You can't just pray to whom it may concern. You want to pray to the God you know and the God you believe in and the God you trust. And so creeds strengthen our belief, but they also protect our belief from being culturally washed. I came across a phrase a few weeks ago, and I've read it before, and it's always always amused me because it says this. When the gospel got to Greece, some people um, made it into a philosophy. When it got to Rome, some people made it political. When it got to Europe, some people made it cultural. And when it got to America, it turned into a business. And uh, so think about that. The culture shows up in a place, and that place starts to influence the gospel. Instead of the gospel influencing it, it starts to look like philosophy in Greece, and political in Rome, and cultural in Europe, and corporate or consumeristic in America, and we can include Canada in that. See, our faith always has to be translated into a new generation, but it must always remain core to its meaning. Otherwise, it loses its power. Otherwise, it loses its power. And creeds help us do that. Creeds kind of stand against the, when, when, when the gospel got philosophized, if I want to say that way, in Greece, or politicized in Rome, or culturalized in Europe or monetized in America, the creeds stand and are a prophetic voice to that. No, that's not the gospel. This is the gospel. In fact, in Nazi Germany, often it was said that the Nazis tried to use religion not to Christianize Germany, but to Germanize Christianity. See the difference? Not to Christianize Germany, but to Germanize Christianity. That was then. That was a unique time. But the power of a creed is to protect us from those things and its connection to our earliest, earliest beliefs. 
there was this guy, a pelican, who's a historian. He was speaking of just the power of creeds. And he was talking about this smart guy he knows that was interviewed. His name is Stephen Gould. And he's dogmatically not a Christian, dogmatically not a believer. But he loved classical music. And the Nicene Creed was put to classical music by Bach. He wrote this piece called B Minor Mass. And B Minor Mass is an hour longer, more amazing classical piece written by Bach with the words of the Nicene Creed in it. And this guy who's not a believer was asked in an interview randomly, hey, if we ever meet people on other planets or other worlds, how should we communicate to them if we meet them? And he says, I think we should give them B minor mass because it's the best thing we have as humanity. And then I'd love to see their best given back to us. Interesting, this guy who's dogmatically not a believer says, you know what, if we ever meet people in another world, let's give them the Nicene Creed put to music. That's the best we've got. I think that just shows the beauty and power of it. As we think about this series for the next few weeks, we're going to have a lot of fun with this because we're going to walk through sections of it. We're going to walk through our belief in God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Here's my hope for this, this series, that we get rooted in faith. We get rooted in our faith, not just in a faith that just popped up in the 21st century, but in a faith that is hundreds and thousands of years old, that we get rooted in something big, like just bigger than ourselves. We get rooted in something that is so deep that we can pass it on and we can live, not just live within it. So big, we live within a rooted faith. We don't just personalize it. It's even bigger than us. So it's both part of us and bigger than us at the same time. And that's my hope as we walk through this creed. But here, here's just a few things I want us to, to hope, get, hope we get out of this. The first is this. I hope we understand we versus me as we walk through the creeds or this creed. The difference between we versus me. Because sometimes our culture and even Christian culture makes our faith so individualistic. And when we read a creed, especially not just credo, but creedum, we believe it's communal. It's we, not just me. There's one person who said, one Christian is no Christian. One Christian is no Christian. Because you cannot be a Christ follower in isolation all to yourself. And you can't be a Christ follower just following your own thing. You are part of something greater. In fact, Pelican said that when we understand the creeds, we realize we're not, I'm not reiterating a, a, a belief system to you. I mean, I'm not creating one from scratch. I'm not recreating a belief system to you. We are part of something that's been way before us and that will continue way beyond us. We're part of a community that believes in one God. We're not just, we, we don't just believe this. We're actually part of a community that believes this. And this is really awesome for people who are exploring and who are skeptics and who just wonder, how can I understand God? You don't have to, if you're here and you're exploring today or coming here for the first time or just trying to figure out faith, you don't have to come here and say, okay, I can only walk in, these, in this room because I believe this. Because sometimes I've talked to people, they say, I just can't believe that. So I got to walk away and I say, wait a second. You, 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 you're walking into something that says this community has believed this for centuries. And so explore it and discover it and slowly get involved in it and see how it, how you, how it doesn't just grow on you, but how you grow inside of it. So it's we versus me. Here's one example of this in the scriptures. First John chapter 1. 
John is really old at this time and he's writing to a group of Christians and he says this. He says, the life appeared. We've seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the, the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard and here's why. So that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. That's credum. That's we believe this. Not just you, not just me. We So we versus me, but also this, all time versus my time. I want us to think about that. All time versus my time. See, we think too highly of ourselves. I think at times too highly of myself. Like if I've, you know, I got this message for Easter and all of a sudden this is going to be the best Easter message in the history of Christianity. I doubt it. I doubt it. Or God reveals something to me and I want to share it with people and it's like, you got, this is going to be the thing that you need for your life and it's going to revolutionize everything. Uh, Brian Zan, who's a pastor, he was, a, he was the, the leading uh, just a growing, uh, one of the fastest growing churches in America in the 90s. Uh, part of the charismatic stream of the church and he loved God, he loved people, he was a really gifted teacher but he started to feel so dry inside and so empty with the kind of pursuit of faith he had, not just what he was teaching, his faith. And he was part of one of the fastest growing churches in America in the 90s. And he came to realize, somebody said, why don't you read this book? Why don't you check out this author? And he started to read and started to, to, to find himself going further and further into the past, into the 16th century and 13th century and 9th century and 5th century. And he, he started to discover just the beauty of the faith that he, always, that he often ignored. And he, he said this, he said, and I'm not knocking uh, you know, charismatics in any way, I believe the whole church is charismatic, but he said, as a charismatic, part of kind of a charismatic movement, he said, we often believed, us pastors or leaders felt like, if God gave me a, a word, I'm giving you that word, and it's the word, and it's going to happen in this generation, and this is the last generation that I'm going to share this word and God's going to do something great. And he realized, how ignorant am I of what God has been doing for 2,000 years? What God has been saying for so many years? And what if, what if Jesus doesn't come back for 500 years? Is my moment insignificant? No. I can live my moment faithfully following Jesus in connection to the past and in continuity with the future. So all time versus my time. N.T. Wright says, saying we believe these things, mark us out as standing in continuity with those who went before us, as well as with those around the world today, in other places very different from ours. Share this common faith in life. But I love that. Standing in continuity with those who went before us. We're We're not the only people who've discovered Jesus. We don't have the corner of theological truth. I don't. Hebrews 12, you know, the writer of the Hebrews reminds the church then, says, we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. It's not just you. It's not just me. There was Abraham and Moses and David and Ruth and Esther and Deborah and, and others. We stand, we, we stand surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. It's all time, not just your time or my time. And so that's so huge. And the last little piece is all of us versus some of us. I know that there's other churches that don't teach exactly what we teach. 
And I know that there's other groups of Christians that maybe have a different slant on something. And, and I know that there's some people who might have a, a different view of, of baptism. But there's something powerful about the, these core essentials of the faith that says there's something about all of us, not just some of us. Karl Barth said the preeminence of the Apostles' Creed is that it's the most universally accepted statement of the Christian faith in all ages. If we can affirm the Apostles' Creed, which I bet none of us today or any theologian could say, I think that phrase about Pontius Pilate is off. Let's take it out. No, Jesus, Jesus wasn't conceived by the Holy Spirit. I don't agree with that piece. I think everything in there fits within the New Testament faith. And it's amazing when we consider there's more than just some of us. There's a bigger group of Christians around the world. And, then, and I'll close with this. I'll ask the band to come up as we come to a close this morning. As we, as we walk, this, walk with this over the next few weeks, we're going to discover the, the Apostles' Creed and the phrases are, like I said, it's not the authority of the Bible, but it's a window back into the Bible. It's a window back into the New Testament. It's a window back into God's story. Like I was sharing about my daughter, Julia, that one phrase, when I would hear it, and hopefully when she hears it and others, it's a window back into who we are, what we're about, what we believe, what we've learned, the immensity of it. So much bigger. Here's what somebody smarter than me said in the fourth century. Cyril of Jerusalem in the year 313. He said, just as mustard seed in one small garden contains branches, so also this faith has embraced in few words all the knowledge of godliness in the Old and New Testaments. Just in these few words. I mean, we, we read it in what? 30 seconds? We didn't read the whole New Testament. We didn't read the whole Bible. We read the Apostles' Creed. 30 seconds. It's done. And yet, in these few words, um, I believe, help us embrace a faith and a knowledge of godliness in the whole of scriptures, in the whole story of God, what he's done, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I was reading, I, I forgot to bring it with me today. I was, in, in my reading for this, I came across a church leader, Arrhenius, right, who, who was in the second century. And um, he ended up, um, you know, coming into contact with kind of a tribal group of people outside the region. And they, you know, in their time frame, they, they called them barbaric. They were barbaric because they didn't have the same language and they lived a little differently than they would have in what the center region or the urban region. And Irenaeus shares these words and he, he was amazed because he comes into contact with this group of people and he started to discover that some of them came to faith in Jesus Christ and that there was a, group, a church, like a group of churches meeting in this area. And as he started to get to know them, he writes back and he says, wow, they, these people, I've, I've heard them say that they believe in God, the Father, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, God's only son, who died and was buried and rose from the grave. And they talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. And he says, what amazes me is that, they, you know, he says they're barbaric. They don't know our language, but they're smart. They're, they're the wisest of people because they've grasped the gospel and they've understood it. And, and what's he using as a framework to understand that? This creed. There's something that connects them. And he realizes that any place, any culture, this is the beauty of Christianity, is that the gospel, though we don't bend it to the norms of cultures, it can be translated into any culture in the world. 
And Irenaeus is showing, just showing us evidence. This happened with this group of people. And it happened. Why? Because we're able to, to see the, just the amazing wisdom of God in seeing these creeds come together that has helped the church stay shaped together and then passed on. And these people with different language, different background, catch the gospel and come to faith. That's just so beautiful. That's the power of a creed. Bless your name. Father, we are so grateful. We can celebrate you as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe together as your church, as your people. Those who have put our trust in Christ, your Son. Who are being empowered daily by the power of your Holy Spirit. We believe. God, as we embark on this journey together allowing this creed to take us back into scripture to be revealed about your story beautiful faith God we pray for the leading of your spirit the power of your grace help us to grow into this great faith we have and this great faith that we are a part of and your body and your family you have in store for us more than we could possibly imagine and so we embrace the mystery we embrace the awesomeness we embrace you Lord and I pray for some here today that are just beginning to explore or at a place where they're where they are feeling convicted to make a decision to put their trust in you father I pray that they would see the beauty the captivating vision that comes from your story and your son Jesus reveal to them by the power of your spirit um, to grow in you to walk with you to love you God we pray all this Lord in Jesus name may it overflow into our lives this week as we're sent out into our neighborhoods and networks and workplaces and families in Christ's name we pray and everybody says Amen. Amen